Okay, Pleasure Seekers, this episode of Project Pleasure contains language of a sexual nature. So, strap in. Project Pleasure. Hi, I'm Frankie Wells. I'm Anishka Tate. And this is Project Pleasure, the podcast that puts the pleasure back into safe sex and healthy relationships. <laughs> Don't Get, make me it laugh. It gets me every time. <laughs> <laughs> Today we are talking about periods and gynae health. Um, we're going to try and explore the good, the bad and the ugly. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So that's going to include all the slippy, slidey fun that can be had with period sex and the abundant pleasures that can come from that time of the month. But it's also going to include some of the more painful parts of gynae health too, be that emotional, mental, or physical. Yes, this episode we're going to be talking to Karen Hobbs, who's a brilliant stand-up comedian who uses her comedy as a vehicle to discuss her cervical cancer diagnosis. And I spoke to Jessica Duffin, who is the founder of This Endo Life, which is a blog and podcast that explores life with endometriosis. I feel left out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you weren't there for that one. (laughs) So here's what's to come on the episode, just just for me, just my benefit. During ovulation, I'm more likely to want sex. And I'm also more likely to want sex literally like 12 hours before my period. And just as I'm coming off my period. So I've worked, I I can recognize it. And then there are times literally the week before my period, I have zero interest and I just don't want to know. So I put bleeding after sex into Google because I wasn't in any pain. It was a bit weird. I backed back my pill packet because I was on holiday. And the top results were like an STI or cervical cancer. Like I remember like ending having sex and having tears in my eyes or having cried and him not have seen it or cried and covered my face so he didn't know I was crying. If people are not going to something that saved my life because they're embarrassed about spreading their legs, if I do it on a big scale in front of strangers on a stage, then for God's sake, can't you as that shy person in the audience book your appointment? So Anushka, Mm. tell me about your relationship with your gynecological Anatomy. Anatomy. Well done. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> well done for getting your teeth You don't there. even, like, that's the word, but we actually don't talk about it like that. Like, that yeah. sounds so scientifically difficult. But scientifical. Like, <laughs> but it's like my body and it's like something that just happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. So tell me about your relationship with that. Oh, do you know what? I think I have a bit of a love-hate relationship. Oh. I find it really frustrating that my body reacts so viscerally and extremely to things that are Mm. happening in my womb because in my brain I'm probably like out of all the people I know I'm probably like the most fine and if not excited and fascinated by all of this stuff but there are always physical symptoms that I just can't override Mm. you know I remember when I was getting the coil fitted and I was having a right old NASA with the nurse and I was asking what was going on because I was really interested I was in the room I was engaged and then my body took over I was fine with what's going on, but my body, my insides, reacted so horribly. My stomach was in agony. So I fainted. Kind of like, I was oh, yeah, sick. You fainted. I remember yeah. tuna sandwich gate. So yeah, <laughs> tuna sandwich gate. If you don't know what we're talking about, know. go back to our contraception yeah. episode. So yeah, it, it's it's a weird one because like I, in my brain is totally cool and like excited by all this stuff, but my body just doesn't. I don't know. It's interesting because it's only through doing this podcast and Mm. becoming Mm. more engaged with some of these topics that I've started to realise that I think there should have been more investigation into what 
was going on in my yeah. abdomen when I was a teenager instead of just being told to put up with the pain. And actually, I am now, as the 27-year-old, 20, slightly worried that I might have some sort of condition of some sort that I've now wow. been masking for years because yeah. of my coil, and that's obviously meant that I haven't had periods. But yeah. but even if I don't, my pain as a girl, as a, as a woman, mm. should have been taken more seriously. Mm. Being in agony is not normal. And I think we live in a patriarchal society that just doesn't prioritise researching female pain and it often dismisses it as hysteria. Did you um, have like a break between your coils? No. Wow, so you, you really don't know. No. It makes me really angry that I was, you know, that what young would... girl was just sent home being like, oh yeah, well women just experience pain and that's that, so off yeah. you go. And I'm you, like, mm. you couldn't, like you couldn't get out of bed. Yeah. Let's just like get that out there. You weren't, you weren't just like all cramping here and there. It was... It was debilitating. Yeah. You couldn't go about your normal yeah. day to day. What were like nurses, doctors saying to you when you got the coil? Like, oh, you know, this is why it's been painful. Or maybe we should, before you get the coil, maybe we should talk about this, this and this. Or was it literally like, no, you'll I mean, get that, the coil, that's yeah. it. Was it your decision? Was It It was my decision. I mean, the conversation was like, hello, I'm here because I have utterly horrific period pain and it's completely debilitating and you know it's not just like take a neurofen and like mm. get on with your day it's like completely cannot get on with my life mm. and they're like okay cool the coil's gonna be good for you because you'll probably stop your period so I'm like cool great and yeah there's not that investigation like yeah okay it has stopped and I've been able to get on with my life since yeah. but it's also a bit like mm, just out of medical interest is that not interesting to want to research female pain what about you what's your what's your relationship I'm kind of getting used to my body and my cycle again because I got the coil seven months ago Mm. and I know that sounds like a long time but like my body for the first three months was just like getting used to it like I I was like bleeding every day and then the blood stopped but like every now and again I still get like jabs in my ovaries like it's not period pain and like I don't ache in my like labia or vulva like I used to where it's like oh my god this is so heavy sometimes I notice like I get a bit moody or like dramatic and I'm like am I a Pisces or I'm meant to be having a period you know so (laughs) well so I'm just still getting used to my body changing I still think it's important to track your moods and stuff because my hormones all over the place Mm. Uh, so like I really really like using apps like Moody Month or Glow which teach me that I'm not insane just my hormones are doing different things and there is a correlation and it made me feel a lot better about myself and the times where I do feel a bit more anxious or I do feel a bit more hungry. One thing I'll say I'm glad I did was use the moon cup. I was really glad about that because I'm glad I was on that wave and I didn't miss it because I just I just found out more about like what my body was doing so I could see how much blood was coming out, which I was really intrigued about. I was yeah. like, oh, look, look at all the blood. And also like, People overreact to this and they're like, oh, I could never do it. But like, you have to, you have to place it in your vagina. Frankie's like, just doing a nice hooking motion. Hooking motion. Because you have to do fingers. that. Yeah. Uh, you have to like <laughs> hook it in your vagina and you have to like scoop it back out. And it's so- sometimes a little bit difficult. I won't lie. Like when, when you've had a few too many G&Ts. <laughs> <laughs> at a rooftop bar and there's only one toilet and then there's a huge queue there's a lot of pressure and someone knocks and you're like I'm removing a moon cup thank you sir um, <laughs> sometimes but I enjoyed it because like it encouraged me to like get my hands bloody yeah and I'm not embarrassed about that yeah. because like there's nothing wrong with it there's nothing wrong with me on my period and I kind of enjoyed that I was getting dirty in a way not even yeah. dirty it's very clean and very sanitary how very dare you <laughs> But yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I'm glad I kind of sometimes miss it. I miss parts of my period. What about 
period sex. Oh, I think we all know. I'm all for it. <laughs> tell I said, me. If I said tell this, me why. Because <laughs> I just don't care about it. Do you know what's weirder? I feel like people that I've had period sex with, like not fussed, and they were never fussed when we were having casual sex. And then we stopped having casual sex. And they were like, oh, you're in your period. You want, you want not to? Like, I actually don't see mm. the difference of anything. No, I don't, I don't see it. Actually, it doesn't bother me at all. Does it feel different physically no. at all? No. And I've never had, like, overspills or, I don't know. Like, it's never bothered me. I've never been like, oh, put a towel down. I just... Have you not? Just get on with it. Oh, my God. You know how, like, every now and again at the moment, because I'm on the quill, I'm bleeding every now and again. And I just genuinely let my partner go down on me and, and just like, yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm, I'm, I had a little bit of blood. Yeah, fine. Yeah. And I... everyone was fine. He wouldn't have known if I had not told him. He's living. It's fine. There wasn't like a, it was like a gory scene. <laughs> That's the thing that I find really funny because in terms of like any squeamishness over blood and potential mess, it's actually not as messy as you might think. It's really not. Like, the average period consists of I think it's like thirty to forty milliliters of blood over over like your whole period. So mm. if you think about the the break break that down to the number of minutes that you're actually having sex, that is barely any blood. That's not that whole three minutes that much. But also, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. The whole of that time that that is. But also, just don't think about it as blood. One of the things that I genuinely love about sex is the sweaty, messy, there might be semen, there's saliva, there's all these other S so words, many, sweat. So many body, bodily fluids. Exactly. Just throw blood in. It's just Add another like, to it. It's just another natural lubricant, isn't it? I think one of the other things that people worry about is its safety because people somehow associate it with something more gross. Well, they well, worry yeah. that it's not as safe or as natural, but it's completely safe and natural for both partners. Yeah. There is no worry whatsoever. And actually, sex on your period can help relieve PMS symptoms and cramping. And if you orgasm, think about all that additional contracting mm, mm. that is causing oh. the lining of your womb and the blood of the period to come out faster, which means shorter periods. One thing I used to do when I had periods, when they were bad, is masturbate loads. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's yeah. the thing that I really felt got me through. And I was like, no, I actually have to masturbate because, like, I'm in a lot of pain. I was going to ask you what your experience is like with period sex. Like, have you done it? What was your partner's reaction? Well, I've never had period sex. Oh, my because God. Because I've barely ever... And it's, and it's actually, not had a period. Yeah, because I've not had a period in, in like, about 20,000 decades. And I'm actually quite not jealous. Not technically true. Not <laughs> technically entirely correct. But I'm genuinely jealous because now there's like this, almost this movement to make it be cool. And, and oh, I'm like, I'm out. missing out. I oh. don't know what it's like. Because because I'm quite interested now in, you know, people getting into tracking their cycles and their, you know, their hormones over different levels. Because a lot of people say that sex is actually more pleasurable at the beginning of their period because that's when progesterone is lower and that's what is known to lower libido yeah. so actually your your desire is probably higher at the beginning of your cycle see the sacrifices we've made for this right? coil oh i feel sad for you that you haven't had period sex i know right when you do that we can have a party <laughs> <laughs> we have red velvet cupcakes i'll have a i'll have a break between my next coils please i mean you have to wait a few yeah, years but it'll be, be like, worth it you'll be like 32 it'll be- Oh, while we wait for that to happen, should we just get on with this episode? Yeah, go on. (laughs) Spotlight on sex. Joining us for some Spotlight on Sex today is someone who puts a spotlight on sex and bodies through stand-up comedy. It's the gorgeous Karen Hobbs. Yay! Yay, Karen! Yay, I'm applauding myself. (laughs) I've been looking forward to this, Karen. Because if you weren't there, Karen was part of our big fat sexy quiz. What a good... 
night. Great night. Can also, we just say? I'm very jealous of your vulva. I've seen it now. It's stunning. St- it literally is the Marilyn Monroe of vulvas. That's what I call it. Oh, that's you, you took said, a joke from me. Yeah, I, I took a joke, but You're stealing my art. Night. What a great way to spend International Women's Day. Oh, so Karen, you've been through something that no one should have to go through. Let's start where your world was kind of turned upside down at 24. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and where it started then? So the journey started on the 155 bus. Uh, so what happened was I was 24, which is a few years ago now, and for about six weeks prior to when, you know, everything crumbled, as you said, Franks, I was bleeding a little bit from my vagina. I always feel like I need to stress that. It wasn't a nosebleed. Um, <laughs> in between periods, but not a lot. It was just, you know, like a bloody discharge or if you've back-to-backed your pill and you just get that little bit of blood and you're thinking, oh, I should have had that break in my pill yeah. packet. Yeah. It was no more than that. So it wasn't anything super serious. I wasn't in pain or anything. So bleeding a little bit in between periods and then a lot after sex. So as soon as we finished having sex, so I'm straight and had vaginal penetrative sex... So as soon as that was over, there was sort of bright red blood on the sheets, on his penis, kind of around my legs. And it was like, I'd just been cut. Mm. But again, didn't feel any pain. Didn't know what was going on. So he asked if it was because he was too big for me. Lol. (laughs) We're okay, sweetheart. I was like, that's cute. And So I went on to Google and I don't know how much stigma there is attached still to going on to Dr. Google. Like, have you guys ever... Oh, I Dr. Google, We Google yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's life, right? Yeah. We're young, modern women. Mm. Technology's at the fingertips. Yeah. You Google. I do really want to stress, like, the horror stories are on the internet. So if you've Googled something that's the matter with you medically, mm. you will probably find out the worst answer rather than the right answer. But in my case, so I put bleeding after sex into Google because I wasn't in any pain. It was a bit weird. I backed back my pill packet because I was on holiday. You know, maybe, who knows? And the top results were like an STI or cervical cancer. And I thought, well, I'm 24. I think I'm in a monogamous relationship and I'm looking after my sexual health, but you never know. Also, I can't have cervical cancer. I didn't even really know what cervical cancer was. I knew that the only thing I knew about the cervix was that it dilated when you have a baby. Mm. That's the only thing I'd ever heard of. Mm. Yeah. I booked a doctor's appointment and kind of to cut a long story short with various appointments was diagnosed with cervical cancer. Oh, my goodness. I can't imagine. When I tell the story... So now I work for the Eve Appeal, an amazing gynae cancer charity, kind of raising awareness and giving talks and putting information about the five gynae cancers out there. Whenever I tell my own story as part of my day-to-day job or, like, you lovely ladies are saying, you know, I did some comedy at the Project Pleasure thing, it feels alien. I was asked to describe for an interview the other day my experience with cervical cancer in three words. And I think people were probably expecting something like changed my life mm. or Super best, profound. worst thing or yeah, whatever yeah. it was. And I just put doesn't feel real. You do sort of stop and think, oh, no, I'm not telling someone else's story. Yeah, it it's, must be weird. It's my own story mm. and it's so damn weird so I had cancer. And it also, like, opens you up to a whole new world because you just said, you know, the five different types of gynae cancers. And I didn't know there were five types. So you're overloaded with all this information of, like, what do I need to know? What do I need to know about my, my cervix, my my very own cervix? I had what no information. What even is the cervix? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's really interesting when you said, you know, you've only heard of the cervix in terms of this, like, baby-making yeah. capabilities. How and much is it dilated? And, that, and that's, a, that's a massive thing in terms of, like, it's almost like we're told about parts of our body but in relation to something else. Like, like to another human to or a function where it's yeah. like, no, but hang on, this is a 
part of my body. I know I need to know what it does and mm-hmm. why it's there and yeah. how it's going to affect me. Because whether you can have kids, whether you choose to have kids, it's not just there to dilate when you push a baby yeah, out. Like, yeah. It's got so many other functions throughout the life, whether you bear a child or not. But mm. I didn't. I didn't know anything. You're so right. I so overnight went from knowing that it dilates when you have a baby and. The, only thing I hadn't had a smear test I hadn't had any type of internal examination before this all I'd done was you know have my STI checks but that didn't involve an internal thing you know that's Mm. just giving a sample and all I knew about my vagina was I knew where my clitoris was and all I knew was that a period came out Mm. and for me a penis went in Mm. that was it Mm. I didn't know anything else and I think that's the case for most people who don't in air quotes, have to know anything. Mm. So I didn't know anything about HPV, the human papillomavirus, yeah. that causes 99.8% of cervical cancers. Yeah. Tell us a bit about that. So human papillomavirus, HPV, is a really common virus and it's passed on through sexual contact, skin-to-skin sexual contact. So for me, that was my penetrative vaginal sex as a, a straight woman, but it can be just oral, it can be two women, two men, anything in any hole, any tongue in any hole, any combination of genitals touching near each other. It's any type of sexual contact, basically. Yeah. Really common virus. Our immune system is designed to get rid of it on its own, how we get rid of a cold. But sometimes there are sort of about 150 different strands of it. So it's kind of an umbrella mm. of viruses. And there are so many different strands of it. There are about 13 which are high risk. And if your body gets one of the high risk strands, which is just luck of the draw, and your immune system is a bit weaker and can't get rid of it, then over a long period of time, it can develop into abnormalities, like when people have abnormal smear test results, Mm. and over a long period of time, develop into a cancer, which happened to me. But I didn't know that my cancer was caused through sex, basically. And then there's so much stigma that comes with that. Yeah, I was going to ask whether there's... Oh, my God. Because, I mean, we've... You know, our last episode was on STIs and stigmas and this idea that Dr Karen Gurney was saying, you know, people don't come to see her because they're worried about chickenpox because there isn't the social stigma around it. So did you... Did you find that you have to also deal with that and any shame and stigma that comes with the fact that it comes from sex, potentially, as well as the fact that you're dealing with the fact that you've got cancer? That is such a good way of putting it. So, obviously, you have to deal with the fact that you've got cancer and on top of that the fact that it's a gyne disease yeah like when i i work i didn't work at the eve appeal before mm. before i had cancer it's, it's since obviously that would be very lucky <laughs> uh, and i had a you know a boring desk job just to you know pay the bills or whatever and told a colleague that i was going away because i needed to have surgery i was never ashamed and um someone at work said what type of cancer and i said oh cervical because Again, wasn't embarrassed. And she said, how do you get that then? And my little poem is, would you have asked the same if I'd said breast, bowel or brain? Mm, You don't ask someone that's got a non-naughty legs closed disease how you got that. And I said, oh, it's passed on through, you know, it's HPV virus passed on, weak immune system, bad luck with the strand, can equal cervical cancer, to summarise. And she said, oh, I thought you've got a boyfriend. As though though I'd been this bad, slutty girl. And now you've got cancer. Yeah. Wow. And I thought, first of all, so condoms, it's so important. So condoms don't protect against HPV. They cover the majority of the penis. Yeah. So, yes, they 
sort of reduce the risk in, in some way because the mm. penis is covered. But there's also the base of the penis, the balls, the tongue, yeah. the arsehole. Everything, mm. everything yeah. else is out. Mm. So you can get H- you can use condoms with one person for your whole life yeah, and, and still, still get HPV. Yeah. So that's a really important thing to address. And also, like, that's kind of slut-shaming unnecessarily. What if I had slept with... 25 people and not use condoms but always gone for my STI checks yeah. and been really open with every partner mm, yeah. does that mean it's okay that I got cancer mm. because of that that wasn't my situation at all I was in a monogamous relationship. safe yeah. relationship but wow it's it, so it's this weird that they think it's okay to to put a judgment and it's and it's an incorrect judgment I was just gonna ask what can people use to protect themselves against HPV or what steps can they do to like make sure they're being healthy and safe? Mm. So it's passed on through skin-to-skin sexual contact. Yeah. The less you expose yourself to the virus, the less chance of getting it slash getting a high-risk strand slash risking it developing into something. Mm. So, of course, if you had to hedge your bets on someone that's had sex with one person ever mm. compared to someone that's had sex with 15 25 35 people mm. the person that's had sex with the fewer amount of people is going to statistically be at less risk mm. so if we're going to be really strict you know the fewer people you have sexual contact with the less likely you are but also that's life doesn't work no, in those odds do you know what i mean like too. i i hadn't slept with like less than 20 people and had mm. a full-on cervical cancer at 24 so, so, you know, someone messaged me and she'd had a vulva condition from HPV and had only slept with one guy with a condom. So, mm. you know, if we're being statisticians, yeah. then yeah, the yeah, less yeah. people you have sexual contact with. Um, smoking is probably the only thing you can have within your control when it comes to HPV. So basically, smoking, we all know, kind of weakens the immune system. Yeah. The weaker the immune system, the less likely it is to clear the virus. Yeah. So with HPV, use condoms when you can. But again, in the grand scheme of what we all get up to and what different Mm. things we enjoy, you know. So that's wild. You were being slut-shamed, but actually you were doing the most anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, did I enjoy the odd cigarette with the wine? Yes, (laughs) I did. But I certainly didn't kind of have... A smoker's cervix. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So, oh, a smoker's cervix. A smoker's cervix. <laughs> very different just image of my hair. Like, you can have a little cervix. Just blowing the O's. Little holes. Like, the O's. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Don- kids. Dollar signs coming out yeah. of it. <laughs> and I guess this is why smear tests are so important. They are so important. I mean, you getting small symptoms. I know that I would have. I would have shrugged that off. I know I would have and, chugged it off. And you would have been one of many because it doesn't yeah. hurt. We the, th- the thing is, with like at the Eva Pill, we're so passionate about pushing out clear information around symptoms and awareness because most of us with a cervix and female reproductive anatomy bleed maybe not once a month because of whatever contraception we're on, if we're on any. But do you know what I mean? Majority of us with ovaries, womb, cervix, vagina will bleed a fair amount. Yeah. That's just mm. how it is. So it's really difficult to get your head around the fact that this bleed isn't a period. Whenever you bleed from your vagina, it doesn't mean it's a period. It doesn't mm. mean it's a withdrawal bleed because you've come off your pill. But we don't talk about this other type of bleeding. Yeah. No, I've we never don't. heard of another type of bleeding. I'm like, you have your period, that's it, yeah. we're done. Like, not every type of blood that comes out of your vagina wow. is a period. And bleeding from your vagina when you're again in air quotes because we all bleed differently not supposed to Mm. is a sign of womb vaginal and cervical cancer 
much more likely, because I don't want to scare people to be no. a hormonal imbalance or, you know, something benign. Yeah, but it's good to check. But, mm. exactly, yeah. but it is a sign of something serious. And we're just so used to, like, people that have gone through the menopause, so the average age is 51. I run a service at the Eve Appeal called Ask Eve, so people can call or email any type of information and mm. question, and we'll help them. And someone messaged today saying, I'm 54, I went through the menopause two years ago, for the last three months I've been menstruating. You haven't been menstruating. Wow. Oh my God, that's so scary. Wow. You haven't been menstruating because the menopause is when you haven't had a period for 12 months or more. You've gone through the menopause if you've not bled for a year mm. and you're at that age. Mm. Wow. If you're bleeding once you've not had a period for a year, that isn't menstruating. Mm. It's interesting, we were talking about this earlier. It's, yeah. it's, it's almost that we've taught that bleeding and being in pain are part and parcel of being a woman and that's why so many people don't go and get yeah. stuff checked out because you just kind of get told that like oh of course stuff's it's gonna hurt things. and you're gonna yeah. be in pain yeah. you're just gonna have to get on with it or otherwise you're making it up 100 like, or you're misdiagnosed or perhaps not quite understood by the doctor because you're saying oh i'm in pain and i'm bleeding well aren't we all yeah girls but it's yeah. about differentiating and it's really hard if you don't even kind of monitor and know what your own normal is mm. how on earth can you yeah. express it to a doctor well, something goes well, wrong this is why something like if frankie was saying earlier that you know using a moon cup or you know using a menstrual oh, cup was really useful it. and i think that's stuff like that is so useful because mm. you will get to know what your you know normal blood mm-hmm. is yeah, and it means totally. that if and when it doesn't feel like what you're used to you'll notice we should be checking in with ourselves and we should mm. be understanding our body when i listen to your story like i wouldn't know anything about several cancer and i put off the smear test for ages mm. and i know so many people that did and there's so many horror stories but why did she put it off i was just think? i was just scared mm. and by the way it was a great day like i left work early i had a hot chocolate treat myself like i had it done the nurse was amazing we talked about her trip to bali because i I had just been to Bali and we were talking about her sons and I was like, I wonder if they're fit. Because um, that's what you do. Classic smear yeah, test story. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I had like a really fine time and I know some people have had horrible experiences, mm. but I feel so much better being like, great, I know exactly what I do and don't mm. have. And like, I know someone that had their smear test eventually because like it, it seemed to be a thing that we were all putting off for some reason mm. and they 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 found that they had some cancerous cells now they've had, had it burned off and mm-hmm. they can and i just that person's really close to me and i just think oh my god what if they what, what if she put it off what if they, even longer because i was yeah. putting it off i wasn't encouraging her to go until i had it done and mm. i was like oh my god go it's so true i think we all because the thing to remember with cervical screening is it's for the well person mm, it's yeah. for the healthy cervix it's yeah. not to spot cancer no. so i my cancer was spotted because i was bleeding mm. and went to the doctors and that's a sign but cervical screening is to check the health of a hopefully healthy cervix yeah. see if anything's going weird like with your friend there was some abnormalities and intervene before it becomes too late were you because obviously we don't get a smear test until we're 25 mm. you were obviously younger than that yeah so it's really really unlikely that you'll get it happens mm. because life happens yeah but it's super unlikely that you'll be below the age of your first smear test and have cancer so i'm milking it for all it's worth <laughs> um, but because it's rare mm. yeah so the reason it's 25 is first of all it is a cost issue so mm. it's an nhs screening program it's about testing every well cervix and screening for problems it's not about going out to hunt cancers Mm. in 
everyone at any age. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. about... So under 25, there have been loads of studies to work out a sort of safe, happy age that makes it cost-effective and safe. Obviously, we're not going to put people's life at risk just mm. for the sake of saving money. But under 25, there can be more sort of false positives. So abnormal cells where... Because the body's kind of still developing. Yeah. yeah. So false positive cells that are weird when they would have gone back to normal but intervene with too early and then you know, it's all complications with a weakened cervix and miscarriage later on blah 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 so of course if i'd had a cervical screening test younger than 25 i wouldn't have had cancer i do get that and i'm very conscious of that but equally that's not to say suddenly lowering the age makes sense for the screening mm. program mm. but from a personal perspective yes if I'd had one at 23, would mm. I have been saved from all of that? Yes. Mm. I want to talk a bit about your relationship with your body now. Yeah. Because it sounds like you didn't necessarily know that much about mm. your own gynecological anatomy beforehand and you had you had to kind of go out of your way to find all these things mm. out. But did that almost mean that you were then learning about things that are very personal and intimate but in quite a medical way? What's What's your relationship with your body like now? It's really interesting you mentioned in a medical way. Mm. So for so from when I found out I had cancer officially till about six weeks after surgery, I wasn't allowed to even put a tampon in, masturbate, have for me a penis up there or whatever someone's equivalent of penetration yeah. is because they need to keep everything kind of like a, you know, sort of like a, a crime scene. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine the tapes oh, put gosh. up around yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. no one's allowed to interfere apart from forensics. Um, so that's why I say I've been fingered by more medical staff than sexual partners. Oh, it's a fact. So yeah, for ages I wasn't allowed to do anything intimate with myself or with someone else. And then you have to have really regular checkups. So for a long time I just saw my genitals, which the only thing they'd been used for before was pleasure completely as you were just saying a medical zone so it was really weird when I was given the all clear to go and have fun again basically after I healed enough after surgery to to have sex and it was really weird and it wasn't pleasurable the first few times no it hurt I bled which made me think I had cancer all over again oh Oh, because I wasn't healed properly so I I did wait the right amount of time yeah it's not it wasn't nice I didn't it didn't come anywhere near to coming. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Nowhere near. It was sore, uncomfortable. I was stressed. Um, so the pubis and the sort of stomach were bloated from the surgery. I didn't look like Karen. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I didn't yeah. look how I used to look before surgery. So I felt I looked bigger and... I'm even bigger now than I was then. But that's because I'm eating... Love my boyfriend. I'm nice. I'm, com- life, I'm, com- I'm comfy. And you <laughs> look great. And it's so great. But, yeah. me, but that. But this is my choice to be this size mm. now. But then it was. I was all puffy and Imposed surgery, yeah. and kind of, yeah. the scars and the stitching was still in, and it was just horrible. And then I found out that that boyfriend was being very bad whilst oh, I was poorly. No. But that's like uh. another conversation. That's like a relationship swap. Okay, we'll do, yeah, we'll we'll do, do a whole other episode. Yeah. We'll about make a bad boys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so then I didn't have sex for ages because we weren't together. And I didn't feel... I'd never kind of had loads of casual sex, but I'd go for a drink with someone and if we got on, mm. I'd be fine with having sex. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I really didn't for a while because, first of all, I was with the person that was with me when diagnosed, so I was out of my comfort zone that I was now this healing thing mm. and back on the market. It mm. felt a bit... Yeah. Felt a bit, felt a bit vulnerable. Mm. Yeah, of course. So it took a long time for me to enjoy a penis again 
but I found masturbating a good way to get back in touch with my own body. Yeah. Because you can... Not that anybody ever forced me into any type of sexual contact, but I you can really take wanking at your own pace. Yeah. yeah. More so than when someone else is in the room, because there's only you. Yeah. yeah. So whether that's in the bath and just enjoying, like, the hot water on your thighs and, you know, that sort of thing, mm. and, like, your boobs being really slippery and mm. whatever that slow central process is enjoying when it's when it's summer and a breeze coming in and like tickling you if you're naked like little tiny things helped me remember that i'm not a doctor's thing to fix yeah yeah Yeah. they did fix me but now that's touch wood done over and it's now about enjoying my body and what's left of the reproductive system for what i want to do with it if that makes Mm. sense Mm. Now, we touched on this earlier, your Marilyn Monroe vulva. Gorgeous. Which I have seen so up close and personal on the massive poster that you bring out when you do your stand-up. We stand should stress up. that rather than... Yeah, like, I, that's just why I with carried no on that on. Yeah. She just took off her tights, <laughs> yeah. took them around her yeah, head. Yeah, yeah. It's a new policy for your guests. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah it's the only way you're allowed yeah. on. Spread um, <laughs> Where did this idea for having a massive blown-up poster of your vulva come from? So I just started stand-up a year after I was diagnosed at the beginning of 2016. But I did sort of a funny play and just told my story so far. So there are loads of reasons why people don't go for their gynae checks is because of cultural and religious barriers. They're not allowed to in their community. It's because they're trans and don't feel comfortable with how the medical staff are trained or not trained. It's because they're gay and they're told that lesbians don't need to go for cervical screening. It's because they have learned disabilities and don't understand the letter that comes through the post. It's because they don't have a a job that's remotely understanding and literally can't get to the appointment that's in working hours. I'm really aware that when I talk about why people don't go, I'm talking about it from you know, a cis, straight, white, educated, privileged position. I'm very aware of that. But one of the reasons, like Frankie was saying, is that people feel uncomfortable, embarrassed or shy. That is one of the reasons. I can't solve all of the issues overnight. I would love to. But I can, I think, help with the embarrassment and shy thing by how I'm talking. And I think if people are not going to something that saved my life because they're embarrassed about spreading their legs... If I do it on a big scale in front of strangers on a stage, then for God's sake, can't you, as that shy person in the audience, book your appointment? Mm. Even if it's just meant that one person's gone for their smear. Well, it facilitates the conversation, doesn't it? It makes the conversation feel easier to engage with. Because you relax when you laugh. Mm. And it's it's funny. If, If people weren't booking their appointment before... And it's because they were shy or embarrassed. If they can think, oh, if that girl can get that massive whopper of a puss out, <laughs> then surely they can brace the two minutes with a stranger if I do yeah. it in front. It's kind of yeah. saying, if I can do this, yeah. you can do that. Yeah. 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 Karen, you, you showing your vulva to many people in one go is beautiful for so many reasons. <laughs> Where can we keep up with you and your vulva? Um, follow me on Instagram and Twitter. So at Karen underscore Hobbs and I'll post like when I'm doing gigs or little clips of stand up and stuff and I can't remember what gigs I'm doing into yeah. I can't remember okay. but um, we'll the Eva Peel we'll are doing a great it. campaign throughout May called Get Lippy so yes. if you follow at Eva Peel and at Karen underscore Hobbs for lots of gyne awareness stuff because hopefully it will help someone somewhere Sex Hacks Hey 
We're Jenna Sinead, founders of The Sway, the bi-monthly pleasure package subscription service helping to spice up your sex life. And here are our three extra hot tips for orgasm denial. A quick definition for those who haven't come across this term before, orgasm denial or edging is the technique of bringing yourself or someone else to the very brink of orgasm and then backing off just before the magic happens. Do this enough times and your body will become one giant pulsating nerve of burning sensation and your orgasm, when you are finally brought over that edge, will be that much more insane. Right, so let's get into it. Tip one, do it yourself. Spend a little solo time figuring out exactly where your edge is. Familiarize yourself with that feeling, that fabulous, leg-twitchingly great feeling, just as you're about to orgasm. Learn to recognize it and teach yourself to pull away from it right before you orgasm. That's self-control. That's the key to orgasm denial. Tip two, show and tell. Try edging yourselves in front of each other, one at a time. Let your partner watch as you get yourself close to orgasm. This will help you both familiarize yourselves with each other's pre-orgasm body language. Learn each other's point of no return. And well, let's be honest, masturbating in front of each other is hot as hell. Tip three, take control. It's time to take the reins. Take turns at this. Have your partner masturbate in front of you and tell them that they have to obey your every command. Of course, this should definitely be something that you've previously discussed and agreed on. When you notice them start to really get aroused, tell them to stop. Give them 30 seconds to a minute, if they're lucky, then tell them to start again. Repeat this a couple of times and then tell them when they have your permission to come. Or if you're feeling confident in reading their body, take your partner's orgasm into your own hands and bring them to the edge yourself. Until next time, stay sexy, pleasure seekers. Pillow talk. So we've had a bit of a chat before on the show about all the fun, slippery, slidey parts of period sex. But on the flip side, there are also circumstances under which female bodies and their inner workings make something that should be really pleasurable actually really painful, both physically and emotionally, I guess. So for today's Pillow Talk, I am joined by Jessica Duffin, who has a blog and a podcast about living with endometriosis, and it's called This Endo Life. Hello. Hi. Listen, Jessica, tell me tell me what endometriosis is and how it affects your life, because I don't think I've ever actually been sat down and been told this is what it is. Yeah, of course. I think that's the case for most people. Mm. Endometriosis is basically where cells that are similar to the lining of your uterus, so the lining that breaks down and like bleeds out your vagina as a period, similar cells grow outside of the womb. And they're often found on like the fallopian tubes or the ovaries or the pelvic cavity, but they can also grow on your other organs. So like bowel, bladder, etc. And what happens is they follow, they're like sensitive to hormones. So they follow the same cycle. So they break down every month with your period. So they're kind of bleeding in the side. And I guess like when you hear it like that, I think some people might not think it sounds that serious. But what happens is that blood has nowhere to go. Mm. So it essentially will like clog up again. Like this isn't a very non science <laughs> term. <laughs> And it will cause adhesions and organs to stick together. So it starts causing like webbing and also the surgery. And this is 
not to scare people out of surgery because like excision surgery is like the golden gold standard for like removing endo but basically surgery can then cause like further scar tissue and then the endo can kind of like worsen from that scar tissue this is really really painful because imagine the cramps you have like inside your uterus then you're having those cramps like all over your lower body so yeah so it will affect your life or it can affect your life with like chronic pain so it might be daily or it might be around your period it might be really bad on the first couple of days or it might be your entire period but not the rest of the month it really varies from person to person and it can cause chronic fatigue and depression and anxiety are often like they're symptoms but they're also side effects so from living with that condition you know you end up living with these mental health issues with me it's the fatigue is my biggest challenge and the brain fog that comes with that so a lot of people talk about endo brain fog Mm -hmm. um, or endo fog where they just can't think clearly and over the years I've seen like a decline in my mental abilities like my ability to like remember words remember what I was saying mid-sentence concentration just kind of feeling so tired that I would fantasize about sleeping for like a year or two, like mm. for, you know, genuinely. Gosh, what what were some of the symptoms that you were getting kind of earlier on that prompted you to think, okay, something like I need to get this checked out. There's something not right here. Yeah, I mean, my story of endometriosis is quite different from many people's. You will hear a lot of people say that their endometriosis pain started maybe with their first period or they had really heavy bleeding they were suffering all throughout school that wasn't the case I started getting bloating really bad bloating from like probably puberty age to the point where I was told by a family member I won't say who to hold my stomach in and that triggered an 11 year eating disorder yeah I mean I had like three weeks off during my GCSEs and no one knew what was up wrong with me the doctors said that I had an un- a virus that they couldn't find so that type of fatigue where you feel like your body is led and waking up in the morning I mean you kind of just don't want to live because you're that tired life feels that hard and then when I was about 19 so I started getting migraines nausea sickness and dizziness and I started getting like really horrendous period pain which completely shocked me because I had barely had a period didn't really have any period pain now I did have an eating disorder so I wonder if my endometriosis symptoms came later because I was like inhibiting my period Mm. and at the same time as I got the painful periods I had pain during sex I mean it could have started maybe it started earlier but I was like a really late blossomer in terms Mm. of like sexual activity like I wasn't really interested so and I didn't really like enjoy it. Like I can't really remember my first like few sexual experiences. Like I can't, I don't know if it was painful, but when the pain really kicked in, in a serious relationship, like you knew about it. Like I, I couldn't, it was like I was being stabbed. So there was no denying that that was painful. In those moments, what did you do? What did you say anything? Did you tolerate it? Because we're kind of, to, I don't know what your sort of sex education was like, yeah. what, what attitudes you were surrounded by. But I think sometimes the prevalent narrative is sex would be quite painful for girls. So you just have to put up with it because it's kind of for guys anyway. So don't worry yeah. about it. You know, like how seriously did you take that for yourself? Um, the pain during sex is really hard to reflect on and work out how I responded to it because so the relationship I was in was really abusive 
I definitely thought that sex was there for his pleasure. Mine to a degree, but not massively. And I think in the beginning he was concerned and I was concerned. But we didn't stop. Like maybe like we may maybe we changed positions or something or he went he, maybe he was a little bit gent- gentler sometimes but as time went on and the re- relationship got more destructive I just kind of like now don't get me wrong like it's not the kind of pain you can switch off him it's like seriously seriously stabbing so I would like kind of gasp and that would call like we would stop for a second you know mm. like and then that kind of would like let the pain ease and then you kind of reposition yourself Mm. and kind of carry on but I kind of I started to learn that if I pressed a certain area if I pressed inwards on my abdomen that kind of somehow like it it almost secured the area a little bit it like minimized the movement so that kind of meant that I could just about get through it but it was it was painful whereas kind of now like most of the time with stop or slow or just get me to a point of comfort whereas with him I think I just like try to put up with it like I remember ending having sex and having tears in my eyes or having cried and him not have seen it or cried and covered my face so he didn't know I was crying which is really funny because I don't if you knew me now I wouldn't put up with any of that but I was really young and I really didn't understand like I mean I wasn't really young I was in my 20s but it's amazing what an abusive relationship can do to you and also growing up in a generation where sex was still seen as a thing to please a guy Mm. so I didn't think it felt right but I don't know if I thought it was wrong and I suppose also if you haven't been explicitly told that whatever the opposite of what you were feeling yeah, yeah. is what you should be aiming for, yeah. then how would you, you know, okay, yes, it doesn't feel great, but if that's the low bar that's been set for yeah. my sexual experiences anyway, then why would you think yeah. to change it? And I had nothing to compare it to, really. Yeah. Like, my sexual encounters beforehand were really, like, awkward and very, like, shy and polite because I was so, like, uncomfortable with my sexuality. So it wasn't like I was having, like, really full-on, like, ferocious Mm. sex that I could be like, oh, actually, when it's this hard, it really hurts. Do you know, I couldn't couldn't compare. I didn't have anything to compare Mm. it to. I'm definitely on a healing journey now. I think I've got some other stuff going on with my sexuality that I'm not really sure why it's so broken. Interestingly enough, I just got sent this gemstone tool for like yoni mapping where like you can use it for pleasure. You use it to like map out the painful points and then you you use it as massage. Like so like a pelvic floor therapist, they would use their fingers to map out where your painful points are and then they would massage. So you can use this, this tool for self-massage. It's like yeah essentially it looks like a gemstone dildo Mm. and you can use it for pleasure or you can use it for like yoni mapping and so that's interesting because I'm on that journey now like learning how to to heal the pain but I guess I'm in a really so I'm about to hit five years in my current relationship so I think being with someone so kind and caring made me realize what I was entitled to and also I mean, I felt really safe and sex is a little bit more difficult for me at the moment. But in the beginning, I felt really, really liberated. So I realised like how magical it could be and how special it could be. And I think healing from that, the abusive relationship, I had two like 
fairly significant boyfriends after that as well. They, they weren't that long. They were about six months. But in that, at times, I had really special and almost like spiritual sex with them. And I think that that made me realise it was more than just bodies mm. connecting, which is fine. Like, it can just be bodies connecting. Yeah. I actually had, like... <laughs> Oh, my friends were like, just go on a one night stand <laughs> after this abusive relationship. And oh my God, it was so awful. Oh, <laughs> and I think also it was the time of Sex in the City, right? When Samantha was like the epitome of female empowerment and she could have loads of sex and it meant nothing. And that's cool for some people. But I look back and I'm like, do you know what? That didn't do anything for my self-esteem. I didn't enjoy it. Like I actually cried through this because I couldn't tell him I was in pain. Mm. I learned quite quickly that that wasn't really for me especially if you've got pain, you need to be in a relationship where you can feel comfortable talking about your pain and talking about endometriosis. You can't just meet someone in bar and be like, hey, I've got endometriosis, so if we have sex tonight, it might hurt. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's still very much like a journey. Like, I will go... I. I go through phases where I'm really, like, comfortable with sex and liberated and I feel very, like... I don't know if womanly is the word that I want to use, but... I just feel very empowered in my sexuality and then sometimes it completely disappears. I think also another thing that opened me up to pleasure was that I've like slept with women as well. Going down that route was always a bit more fun. Like, I don't know why. Like it was and it was usually with my friends. Was there a level of understanding of your body in the first place that they might I don't know. Do you know what? <laughs> I don't know because one of my friends got out this really big vibrator that had like some hard beads in it and I'd never <laughs> used a vibrator, right? And it like these beads rotated. Oh, I was so bloody painful. Oh. I didn't say anything. I was just like, oh, I guess maybe I'm just not that into it, into that bit of yeah. it. But I think those were really fun encounters that, maybe because they were with my friends and they were with women I didn't feel the pressure that you feel with a man mm. where you're like you know sometimes you go on some dates or something you're like oh are they going to expect something out of this you're just out with your friend and you get drunk and one thing goes from another mm. and I've never regretted those mm. experiences was there less pain in those experiences Yes, but not with a dildo. Right. I suppose what I was kind of thinking yeah. in a roundabout way is, is it very much penetration yes. that is the issue yeah. as opposed to different kinds of sex, like yeah. different parts of your body that you might be exploring, more likely to explore with a woman perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Penetration is definitely, yeah. definitely the issue for me, though there are lots of crossover conditions vaginismus for example so I've got quite a few friends who have endometriosis and vaginismus and that's partly to do with amongst other things it's partly to do with the fact that they have encountered trauma as in I don't mean sexual trauma but trauma from the pain of sex that their vagina has gone oh, shutting down you know and and so even just the external sensations are painful mm. and like the kind of opening before penetration is painful. In fact, they can't even get to that point, you know. So for other people, it can be painful like in other ways. Mm. But for me, it's penetration. And sometimes any sensation of the clitoris can cause my bladder to like be overactive, mm. which is really annoying. Mm. So any touch is like, okay, now I need a wee. It sounds like you're now in a great 
kind of supportive relationship mm. have you got any sort of practical things that you, you know, i don't know positions or just things that you know will be that much easier so i now like map my cycle so i use for anyone who's interested i firstly i read code red by lisa lister and then Woman Code by Alyssa or Elisa Vitti. I never know how to say her name. <laughs> Both of those talk about like tracking your cycle. And what I have learned and what is quite common, but it's not, not everyone's like this, is that during ovulation, I'm more likely to want sex. And I'm also more likely to want sex literally like 12 hours before my period. And just as I'm coming off my period, so I've worked, I I can recognize it. And then there are times literally the week before my period, I have zero interest and I just don't want to know. But what happens is when I am in that time, in those phases where I'm more likely to want sex, during ovulation, it's a bit more painful, to be honest. That seems cruel. When you yeah, listen, yeah, when, yeah, so when yeah. you really want it, that's when it's like, but you're yeah, going to have to, yeah. it's going to be painful. It is more painful, but I'm kind of more able to work with it and tolerate it because I'm kind of like mentally emotionally physically I'm more open Mm. and so I don't know I can just instinctively work out ways to feel better whereas of course if you're not like as aroused anyway is sex is harder anyway you know so then if you've got pain on top you're more likely to be like what's what's the point I'm just gonna give up position wise so sometimes I don't have any pain Sometimes I have lots of pain, but it will usually correlate to how I'm managing my endometriosis. So if people go away and and read this end of life, they'll see that I manage mainly through diet, supplements. If I'm eating lots of my trigger foods, so that's kind of things that are going to increase my inflammation, I'm really sensitive to that. Then that whole area feels inflamed. And I will, so say if I've had a day where I've like had some sugar and caffeine and I have sex, it's probably going to hurt that night. So I don't really have those foods, but sometimes, you know, like you just really need a coffee or I don't know, like I just, whatever it may be, but I can notice that pain increase. So generally now it's, I'm on top of it, but occasionally I'm like, oh, I don't know why it's hurting tonight. So if that's the case, then, you know, slow sex and missionary is kind of really, I can kind of control that. I can Mm. also control where my legs are. Like I find that if, my legs were up like a missionary mm. kind of in trouble there because he can, he can get deeper yeah but like say if I was like on my side sometimes that could be like really comfortable and sometimes mm-hmm. it can be really uncomfortable it it genuinely depends on what level the pain is mm. at I would say like missionary is like the safe mm. kind of a safe space but anything that involves like kind of angles mm. then I'm kind of more in trouble yeah (laughs) do you kind of go in with some sort of sense of nervousness or trepidation each time or do you kind of go gung-ho and like right we'll just see where I'm at when it happens yeah I think I just go I I go with like what I'm feeling like obviously you know sometimes you have sex and you want it to be like really emotional Mm. and gentle and sometimes you want it to be like really rough and fast right so I usually respond to that and then if it hurts I'm like so I might be like really feeling like in the mood for like really passionate sex and then it's painful because I'm in that mood for passionate sex I will kind of endeavor like I will keep going or change positions and stuff and keep going and then it will either be fine and we'll work it out 
or like more recently I've kind of like my spirits have been dampened a bit mm. because it is uncomfortable. One thing I will say is good lube. That has been really, really helpful, definitely. Mm. Without that, tried recently, no. <laughs> no go. <laughs> Finally, I'm just sort of thinking about your partner and mm. maybe any other partners of people who are going through this who obviously haven't experienced it so don't know exactly what it feels like. But I was just wondering in terms of the dynamic between you, whether you're the one who kind of initiates sex or if he does because I can imagine you know it must be difficult for him kind of being the one who is potentially going to put you in pain that's yeah that's a really hard situation to be in so how does that work does he just take cues from you um do you know what I think and I'm learning this all the time nothing is constant in life Mm. right there are ebbs and flows and there's ebbs and flows in our relationship and sometimes he is more forward and sometimes I'm more forward he definitely is a very very caring person so he definitely is cautious I think he's cautious nothing's really hidden in terms of what I'm going through with endometriosis so he will he will know like where I'm at with that I mean if I was going to give advice I think communication is absolutely key and that's something we're still working on because I'm really really verbal he is not so verbal so I don't always know what he's struggling with when it comes to living with like endo and he writes a column about endometriosis as do I Mm. and then sometimes I read his column and I'm like I didn't know that you know so I didn't know you felt like that Mm. so that is something that we're like working on and he's grown up with people not communicating everything getting brushed under the carpet so that can definitely be a challenge. But in terms of, like, initiating sex, I mean, yeah, that's a difficult... I think it just goes in ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. If I'm if I'm relaxed, feeling content and happy, then I'm much more likely to initiate sex and want sex. And there can be phases where I will be really into it and there will be phases where I'm, like, I could go a month and not be interested. And that is usually a reflection of where I'm at emotionally and personally more so than my endometriosis to be honest I'm sure it's all linked on a hormonal Mm. scale but I'm very much like I need to feel comfortable I need to feel safe and I need to feel happy and relaxed if I come stressed I think guys like if they're stressed at work or something they like want to come home and have sex and if I'm stressed I'm like no. Last thing I want to do. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> Jessica, thank you so so much for being so open and <laughs> honest about everything. It's absolutely amazing. Where can we find more of you on social media? Oh gosh, I'm going to forget my handle. <laughs> it is at this endo life, but I'm just wondering if there's an underscore in that. I think it might be this underscore endo life. It might be at this underscore endo life. This is really funny because I say this at the end of my every single podcast, <laughs> and I can't remember. So Instagram, yeah, it's at this underscore endo life just as a little personal podcast news so we already i mean we already won an award um last year for best new voice at the audio production awards and now we've been nominated for best sex and relationship podcast at the british podcast award next month so thank you so much to every single guest who shared their story so far and obviously to you for being such gorgeous loyal listeners so keep up with news on that and more sex ed stuff follow us on twitter and instagram at pro underscore pleasure and we'd also love 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 if you could take 30 seconds to rate review and subscribe on what Ever platform you're currently listening to us on we've had a lot of five stars it's been nice some of you i think made a mistake and did like a lower rating that's that's cool <laughs> i think there was a mistake so maybe just go back check over 
just give us the other five stars because our average has gone down now. It's actually upsetting. Um, and we- <laughs> I'm joking. Thank you so much for listening to Project Pleasure. And we'll see you in two weeks' time. Love you, bye. Love you, bye. Transition Roundhouse. Coffee.